0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 14 on Christian service. Christ is priest, prophet, and king. The lay faithful are sharers in the priestly ministry of Christ. Christ. For Jesus offered himself on the cross and continues to be offered in the celebration of the Eucharist for the glory of God and the salvation of humanity. Incorporated into Jesus Christ, the baptized are united to him, and to his sacrifice they make of themselves and their daily activities. This begins a reading from Vatican II that we share in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly office of Christ. And John Paul II will now structure the next three sections to explain Christian service by the participation in these three offices. The prophetic has to do with truth, the priestly one, about our offering to God, the world, and to the kingly one, love. So let's look at the participation in the prophetic mission. Christ proclaimed the kingdom of his Father by the testimony of his life and by the power of his word. That's from Lumen Gentium 35. The lay faithful then are given the ability and responsibility to accept the gospel in faith and to proclaim it in word and deed without hesitating to courageously identify and denounce evil. They are united to Christ, the great prophet, and in the Spirit made witnesses. They are sharers in the Church's supernatural faith. John Paul II here is sharing some ideas from Lumen Gentium and describing the sharing of the lay faithful. He says, by sharing also, the gospel should shine out in our family and social life. By bearing the contradictions of the present age and showing the hope for future glory, the lay faithful belong to Christ, the Lord and King of the universe. They share then also in his kingly mission and are called by him to spread the kingdom in history. But kingship should first of all mean their own spiritual combat, overcoming in ourselves the kingdom of sin and to make of themselves a gift to serve in justice and in charity, Jesus who is present in his brothers and sisters. The lay faithful then restore to creation its original value by ordering creation to the authentic well-being of humanity. They share in the exercise of the power which the risen Christ draws all things to himself and subjects them along with himself to the Father. So he says, The lay faithful participate in the threefold mission of Christ as priest, prophet and king, which finds its source in our baptism, developed in confirmation and realized and dynamic sustenance in the Holy Eucharist. That is from his Exhortation on the Lay Faithful, number 14. So to start with the prophetic office, he says, Fidelity is most important. Faith is a response to revelation. So fidelity to truth is paramount. Fidelity to Christ's teaching as it comes through the Church. Faith is a supernatural virtue infused into the Holy Spirit and makes us sharers of the knowledge of God. That's how we share in the prophetic office. So we must be ready to speak the truth, he said, in and out of season, and to speak the whole truth about man and God. We need to study the Bible, the sacred tradition, the documents of Vatican II and papal encyclicals, John Paul links our study to our love of the gospel. Quote, Being responsible for that truth means loving it and seeking the most exact understanding of it. In order to bring it closer to ourselves and others in its saving power, its splendor and profundity joined with simplicity. This love and aspiration to understand the truth go hand in hand with knowledge of the saints and the history of the Church because we see in the saints an authentic light, the illumination of God's truth that they approached with veneration and love. A love for Christ, the living word of divine truth, and love for his human expression in tradition and theology. That's in section 19 of Redemptor Hominess. Cardinal Newman also talks about this need of coming to know the truth with an attitude, he says, of watching for Christ. There should be an attentiveness to Christ. Newman says, the believer should watch and wait for their Lord. They feed on the thought of him and hang on his words. They live in his smile and thrive and grow under his hand. They are eager for his approval quick in catching his meaning, jealous of his honor. They see him in all things, expect him in all events, admit all the cares, interest, and pursuits of this life, and would feel a joy, not a disappointment, if they hear he's on the point of coming. By night I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him and found him not. I will rise and I will seek him. This is Cardinal Newman. And I think it's a great description of how Christians should participate in the prophetic office of Christ. If we move on to section 20, we understand our participation in the Eucharist and penance as part of the priestly office of Christ. There's a distinct way in which the priest and the laity participate. In the sacraments, we find the power of his redeeming action, which begins with baptism that buries us in the death of Christ. And we receive the promise of resurrection and the new life. But the center and summit of the sacramental life is the Eucharist. He summarizes that saving power as follows. Quote, there is in this sacrament a continual renewing Of the mystery of the sacrifice himself that Christ offered to the Father on the altar of the cross, a sacrifice that the Father accepted, giving in return for this total self-giving by his Son, who became obedient unto death, his own paternal gift, the grant of a new immortal life in the resurrection. Since the Father is the first source and giver of life from the beginning, And that new life which involves bodily glorification of the crucified Christ became an efficacious sign of a gift granted to all humanity, the gift that is the Holy Spirit, through whom the divine life is communicated to all men who are united with Christ. In other words, Christ offers himself to all. The Father gives immortal life in the resurrection and Son to glorify Him. And humanity receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the life of divine love. As a consequence of this being united to Christ, who has redeemed us with the price of His own life, we see as a consequence the proof of the value that God sets on man and our dignity in Christ. Secondly, he says, we share in the unique and irreversible restoration of man in the world to the Father. That is, we share in this priestly office of Christ through the Eucharist. Our new being is expressed in this participation in the Eucharist, and each of us has access to the fruits of filial reconciliation with God. That's from section 20 of Redemptor Hominus. I would like to share an additional passage, one from Vatican II prior to this writing, and one from the lay faithful that John Paul wrote later. The lay faithful are sharers in the priestly office, as Christ offered himself on the cross and continues to be offered in the Eucharist. The baptized are united to him and to his sacrifice in the offering they make of themselves and their daily daily activities. The council says, by the lay faithful, through their work prayers and apostolic endeavors, their ordinary married and family life, their daily labor, mental and physical relaxation have carried out in the spirit. And even the hardships of life, if patiently borne, become spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the celebration of the Eucharist, these sacrifices are most lovingly offered to the Father, along with the Lord's body. Thus, as worshipers whose every deed is holy, the lay faithful consecrate the world itself to God. End of quote. The idea of consecrating the world to God is a profound and powerful reality that John Paul II wishes to communicate to us here. In his last encyclical, on the Eucharist, he has this statement about the consecration of the world to the Father. He said, even when celebrated on the humble altar of a country church, as we know he himself did, The Eucharist celebrates on the altar of the world, uniting heaven and earth. It embraces and permeates all creation. The Son of God became man in order to restore all creation in one supreme act of praise to the one who made it out of nothing. He, the eternal high priest, who by the blood of the cross entered the eternal sanctuary, gives back to the Creator and Father all the creation redeemed through the priestly ministry of the Church to the glory of the Most Holy Trinity. This is the Mysterium Fidei, that the world which came forth from the hands of God the Creator returns redeemed by Christ. End of quote from Ecclesia de Eucharistia, number 8. The coming forth and return is a variation of Thomas Aquinas' account of the structure of the Summa, that things come forth from God, rational creatures return to God through reason, virtue, law, and grace, and by the incarnation of Christ, man is redeemed, body and soul. That same notion is the teaching of Gaudium et Spes on the proper autonomy of secular affairs, that the world is good and has a proper autonomy from its creaturely status. False autonomy would be to say creatures don't depend on God, or that they can be used without reference to their Creator. Without the Creator, the creature is lost and becomes unintelligible, thus the Eucharist will lead us to a deep affirmation of the goodness of God's creation. Father Van says Thomas Aquinas is a doctor of the Eucharist because he expounds a great affirmation that things are good even though evil has damaged them and twisted them. But to straighten what is twisted or perverted by human willfulness is one of the effects of the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit. This is why John Paul II places before us the Redeemer of man, And the elevation of each human person, a seed and living hope, is planted in each of us. And through the Eucharist, we develop a greater sense of responsibility for the world. Aquinas connects the Beatitude hungering after justice with the Eucharist. Saints are magnanimous who want to do something beautiful for God. Ignatius, Benedict, Neri, Mother Teresa, John Paul II himself transformed the world. They sought to live by the gospel. All things are made new in Christ. So through the Eucharist, we are transfigured and we can transform the world. That's why he says then the sacrament is how our new being is completely expressed and that Christ continually actuates this, this is what he says in Redemptor Hominess, that it builds up the Church. The Eucharist is a stupendous content and meaning which the Church's magisterium has expounded on, and by men and women of prayer. But he says, even they have only reached the threshold and are incapable of grasping the full mystery of the Eucharist. It's an ineffable sacrament. But to develop a Eucharistic piety and a spirituality in the climate of the Eucharist is what is called for by those who are redeemed by Christ to see that it is something more than an occasion for manifesting brotherhood, as had become all too common in the 70s. So he says the church does need to be vigilant about making this worship due to Christ, given back love for love, as John of the Cross speaks about our love for God. We know that John Paul, too, in his own life was deeply rooted in the Eucharist. He was a mystic and a man of deep prayer. He was a priest who offered up to God the world to be consecrated and restored to the glory of God, and he brings that to his pontificate. That he is the priest above all, who seeks through the redemption of the human to give glory to the Father." So he says here that an authentic life lived in accord with the spirit of of the Gospel is to see the Eucharistic banquet also calls us to penance. So in addition to the Eucharist, we need to see the importance of penance. That we have turned from God and we need to have a constant and profound conversion through the personal encounter with the crucified, forgiving Christ, who says through the minister of the reconciliation, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. So in this encyclical, he says, we have to restore the practice of individual confession so that each person can encounter Christ and his forgiveness. This is what makes for the renewal of each person in the Church that Christianity is not just a sterile philosophy that's incapable of changing lives and hearts, but it is something that is life-giving through the sacraments of the Eucharist and the sacrament of penance. That spirit, which is an answer to the materialism of our age, can be found in the Eucharist and in penance. Penance awakens our conscience. We will see that this idea of a church of the new advent and preparing for the coming of the Lord must be a church of the Eucharist and also one that lives a life of continual conversion. We should now turn then to section 21 on kingship. In section 21 he concludes the idea of service and the threefold mission of Christ. The kingly office is also shared by all the lay faithful, and in it we discover the dignity of our vocation and a readiness to serve in keeping with the example of Christ. Being a king means to be a servant. Being a servant demands a spiritual maturity to master oneself, to possess the virtues that make mastery possible, and to have that kingly service operate in all areas of morality and social life. This idea of exercising kingship as Christians takes that first meaning in spiritual combat, to overcome in ourselves the kingdom of sin and to make a gift gift of ourselves to serve in justice and charity. Those brothers and sisters in whom Christ is present. Of course, this also reflects the Eucharistic reality that Christ will draw all things to himself. The vision of the church stemming from Vatican II, he says, is not drawn from some ad hoc premise, he says, but from what is essential to her vocation. We receive a call from Christ to serve, and we are knighted to his saving action. So he says, to each member of the community, follow me, that we will become a community of disciples in whom each in their way is following Christ. To implement Vatican II, there must be a deepening of awareness and formation of attitudes, and this is particularly to be seen in the kingship of Christ. We should have an adequate awareness of vocation and responsibility. It's an unrepeatable grace, he says. The Pope, a bishop, priest, religious, married men and women, all are in different conditions and professions, but should arise out of kingly service and imitation of Christ. So he says, returning to the theme of fidelity, we need to be faithful to our vocation, a readiness to serve, to be responsible for the mission of our church, to see our own vocation in form of participation in Christ's saving work. So he said married people must be faithful to recognize the indissolubility of marriage. Priest must be faithful, he says, to their celibacy and achieve a mature humanity. They realize their vocation and an unreserved giving of their whole person in the spirit of love to the spouse of Christ. Christ sends men and women to the consecrated life and the religious life. And the modern notions of freedom, he says, will easily subvert this notion of fidelity. Freedom is a great gift. We've seen the threats to freedom, though, in the modern world. Freedom has truth as a requirement and a warning. But now freedom is mistakenly held to be an end in itself. And we think we're free when we can use our freedom as we wish and that our entire society should be organized to facilitating freedom for whatever end. But freedom is a gift that must be used in a way that fulfills our freedom and love. One of the differences between ancient and modern philosophy is that the ancients understood that virtue was the excellence to which we must aspire. And the moderns emphasize liberty and freedom above all. Well, in the Redeemer of man in Jesus Christ, we learn that freedom is for the sake of love. That's what we are taught by the Redeemer of man from the cross. That is what we are taught on Holy Thursday when he washed the feet of his disciples and gave us a commandment to love one another. So John Paul II concludes with this thought. The full truth about human freedom is indelibly inscribed on the mystery of the redemption. The Church truly serves mankind when she guards this truth with untiring attention, fervent love, and mature commitment. So freedom, this great aspiration of the modern world, and particularly people in liberal society. A liberal society means a society that cherishes freedom. The Church has such an important mission, and each Christian, to understand the truth, the whole truth about the human person, that, yes, freedom is to be cherished. The dignity of the person in their freedom of conscience to seek God, to aspire, to live the life they are called to live. But to see that that must be through the Holy Spirit, it must be through the truth and goodness that come from God, that we must be linked again with the wisdom and love of God. So that's why he talks here about fervent love and mature commitment in the whole of the community of the church is this truth transmitted and it's given concrete form through each Christian's fidelity to his vocation. So as he said in Redemptor Hominus, we look to the Redeemer of man. We are, he has joined himself with each man. But through baptism now, By becoming a member of the church, we have to respond and to see that those, that power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit that he talked about in section 18, are made a reality. That doesn't happen automatically. That is something that we must pray for. That is something that we must respond to. And so he says, quote, each day the church looks to Christ with unfailing love, fully aware that the true and final answer to the problem of morality lies in him alone. End of quote. So he reiterates now the main thesis of redemptor hominess. The crucified Christ reveals the authentic meaning of freedom. He lives it fully in the total gift of himself and calls his disciples to share in his freedom." End of quote. The Church is the guardian of freedom. The Church is the guardian of the treasure, of the dignity of the person, and the dignity of redemption. So I think it's fitting that he conclude by saying, the Church is the guardian of the truth about human freedom. And in this, examination of the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king, I think we can see a unified message of what it is to walk as a Christian. That we can distinguish each of these, but at heart, it is a matter of living the Beatitudes and all three reinforce each other to just sum it up, that in the prophetic office we receive the truth of God through faith. And so it is our role to live the faith and proclaim the faith in its full truth and not to cut it back, not to think we need to adjust it to make it more palatable, but to grow in a deepened awareness of the full truth about Christ and God and the human person. And with the priestly office, that means that the world should be sanctified and consecrated to the world through our joining in Christ's prayer to the Father, through our willingness to offer back to the Father All that we are and all that we have, to see it offered up in praise as Christ did on the cross. And then the kingly service, as we just saw, the kingly office is the one that crowns it all, which is Christ ruled from the cross in the sense that he reigns by his service. And we do have a model of what self-sacrificial love is all about. There is no greater love that someone will lay down his life for those whom he loves. And as we've heard repeatedly through this encyclical, that love of Christ envelops all of mankind without distinction. We are all sinners. The Holy Spirit operates in all hearts, wherever the true, the good, and the beautiful, wherever there is a glimmer, and wherever the heart and will of man respond in affirmation. Those may be weak and precarious moments, and in mankind at large we see how threatened they are and how much failure, we see in the history of mankind. But Christ is a reason for hope. Love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than sin. And that is what we learn from the Redeemer of Man. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward donate to help us keep this content free.